Theana, uh, thanks for doing this, first of all. We're going to go through uh, quite a few different things with you, your military and beyond that, but uh, um, thanks for taking the time. Oh, you're welcome. I, I look forward to seeing uh, this interview. Church Bridge, <laughs> uh, right down the road from where I'm at in Yorkton, and I was born in Prince Albert, grew up in Yorkton. Uh, you grew up in, in Church Bridge, small community not far from here, but um, it was anything but a happy childhood uh, for you that you had to endure a lot as a young, young person. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> Sexual assault, one of those, and, and uh, it was happening by, by more than one person, too. Unfortunately, yes, my home life was uh, what I consider a war zone, so it's only natural that I joined the military, be pulled to that, and go to an actual war zone. <laughs> uh, this started when you were real young, five, yes. six years old? Yes. And yes. continued for how long? So I was 11. So I found out and discovered that a butter knife in the door jam uh, works as a door lock. In order to protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So you get through, where did you go to high school? Uh, Churchbridge High School. Oh, there was a high school in Churchbridge. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're, you're as a real young person trying to fend off adults. It's a sexual assault that's taking place. And military made sense to you because why? Well, when I was in high school, actually, uh, a recruiter from the reserves, Canadian military, uh, came to our school. And I was very interested into, like, in what he was um, telling us about. Um, it just pulled at my heart for some strange reason, and I never knew why, because I never did cadets or anything. Right. But... For some reason, the way this recruiter talked, it was something that I needed to try. So I joined at 17 the reserves and went to Regina and uh, did the Royal Rifles uh, Army. Now, you, you, um, the military also gave you an opportunity to get away from bad experience of home, too. Yes, to escape. I think that's part of what really triggered me in his um, talk, the recruiter, he talked about traveling, and the first thing I wanted to do was get the hell out of there. Yeah, yeah, and did. So you, you, you leave at 17 right out of high school, and this is the Army that you're in initially? Yes, um, in the Army uh, in Regina, and then I went to Moose Jaw uh, to do college at the same time. Okay. And so... But you're in, you're in the reserves. Yes. Which I means what? What does that mean? Uh, administration clerk. Reserves is part-time military, so it allows you to uh, still go to school, like college, like I did at the same time, um, and be a weekend warrior, we call it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you go to school, and you're in the reserves for how long? Uh, well, because the administration clerk trade I took at the time was difficult to find employment. I focused on my college more and had very few opportunities to do my reserve um, employment, you say. So I had to take other employment um, in the summertime, too, 
as well. Right. Um, bartending, um, you know, got older um, until I joined the reserve, like the rig force was 19 when I joined the res- uh, rig force. So I had to wait um, until April um, to do my basic training in the, in the, uh, in the rig force in uh, Cornwallis, Nova Scotia. So regular forces you joined, did you need to be 19, or how come it took like that two-year process between being uh, someone who's on reserves? Well, I wanted to finish my college. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wanted to finish that, and I I just it's a process because they got to do security clearances. they got to check all your places of employment, and it took a little while before I did finally get to uh, my basic training. Um, okay. And enrolled, enrolled in the Red Force full-time. So? Military. Join the military, see the world. So it's starting already. You're in Cornwallis, right? <laughs> this is where... Nova this, Scotia, yeah. Yeah. So you're out in Nova Scotia, and training begins there in what capacity? What are you training? Oh, well, it's... What, what we're training in basic training for Red Force is you have all three elements in the Canadian military there. You have the Army, the Air Force, and the uh, Navy trades. And right. I, was a, I, was, I joined the Navy first, uh, and we all take the same initial basic training. They used to have separate training for all three elements, but then they joined it into one at that time. And it's, it was uh, 10 weeks basic training. It was pretty friggin' intense. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, really intense. Uh, no girl had long hair. You know, we had to all get a haircut because our warrant officer was very, very much um, strict and would pick on us until we got our haircut. By the shaved. book. By the book. The book. Very much on the book. I mean, he tore us every inspection. He made sure his master corporal sergeants tore us foot, you know, yep. limb from limb on our hair. So, like, every friggin' inspection. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and you had long hair all your life? Uh, no, I, I, well, I, I had long hair um, when I was around nine. I cut it all off uh, due to uh, the abuse. Yeah. I thought it made myself uglier. The abuse oh, would, yeah. It stopped, yeah. It's amazing because what it you do as a child. Yeah. To one try the, to protect yeah, yourself. Of, yeah. One of the abusers like long hair. <clears throat> one of the main ones. So, so yeah, as it. a child, I cut it. Yeah, yeah, I cut it right off. Uh, so yeah. then when you're in Cornwallis and doing your thing, is it easier to just go, I'll just cut my hair and get this guy off my back? Well, before I even got there, I actually cut my hair in a bob, which was really strange for me because I never did have my hair um, shorter than, you know, I always had sh- hair down to my shoulders at least. Yeah. Uh, except for when I was nine, I, just, I cut it right off to the nape of my neck, right? Right. Um, yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So it's part of what you're dealing with there, and it's pretty intense training that goes on for how long? Ten weeks. Ten weeks was basic training for Okay. Break Are there some yeah. that don't make that? Oh, yeah. There's a lot that don't make it. So out of... Out of uh, our platoon, we had at its max capacity 103. Right. We graduated with we graduated with 67, and I was 
received the top award because um, I, I was an overachiever in high school and then going on to basic training in Reg Force, I was the, it's called the Commandant Shield. So I had overall top physical, uh, academic shooting. I was great for shooting because of reserves. <laughs> yeah. A lot of shooting. And then so I had top shooting, academic, and physical endurance because I was uh, definitely a fit person in high school. Because yep. I was like, you um, know, athlete of the year, grade 11, grade 12. Yeah. So yeah, you put a lot into it, and obviously it paid off. I mean, uh, for for finishing number one overall, you're 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 oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> You've got that in place. You've passed the ten weeks. What was then next? Uh, after that was being posted to my first post. My first posting was in CP Esquimalt in Victoria, BC, on the island. Well, that's not a bad posting. Uh -huh. It was a great posting. <laughs> You're telling me. Uh, yeah. One area of the country from Nova Scotia to Victoria, huh? Yeah, one extreme, one coast to the other, baby. Uh, that, that's <laughs> great. Now, tell me, uh, in being there, it's like, gee, I could spend some time here. How long did you get to spend out there? Uh, six years, actually. Holy, that is a good assignment. Yeah. yeah. Two, two, post, two postings, two basic engagement postings of three years. So you're living the military life, is that what you're living, those six years in Victoria? Correct. Yes, I am. So you're on base? <laughs> you're on base? Yes, I lived in barracks on base. Yeah. And what goes on over those six years? Is it more training, preparation, or is there deployment around the corner? I mean, what's going on there? Oh, yes, there definitely was. Um, oh. Man, there's so much to tell you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah, so basically you start your QL3, which is your initial trades training as a Naval Electronic Sensory Operator. I was a gunner. What does and that mean? What's a gunner? A gunner is basically on the destroyers uh, in the Navy, um, HMCS. Uh, Annapolis was the first destroyer I was posted to. Isn't that an American ship? No, HMCS, Her Majesty's Canadian Ship. Okay, very good. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up for me. You're a no gunner. Problem. Does that mean you're shooting the big ones, or what's the deal? Yes, uh, 350 twin barrel guns, cannons. Wow. Uh, torrents, yeah, on the top of the ship. So you're training um, as a gunner? Yep. Okay. And where do you practice training as a gunner? Well, they actually have a training um, facility for us in CP Esquimalt. We had a actual torrent gun okay. that we trained with aircraft. Part of our training was we had the pilots that would fly over top of us for our final exam was to track them with the, with the torrent and do all our training like that. It's pretty cool. That is sounds pretty cool. War games. Yeah, war games, big time. Yeah, big time is right. <laughs> so you're training there, and you're going to be there six years. So through that sixth year, what what year is it about right now? Uh, well, I, 1991 is when I joined the Rake Force. Okay. And 1992, um, time zone of being trained in CP Squamalt, 
before I was deployed, like uh, posted to uh, HMCS Annapolis in 1992. Right. Okay. And then we went to RIMPAC Games in 1992 in San Diego. Oh. Yeah. So that's, that was my first. That's yeah. shared, like Americans and Canadians kind of doing it together sort of thing, practicing yeah, together? Yeah, Australian, everybody, all oh. over the world. Yeah, all over the world came for war games. Okay. And the good thing about us being Canadian, we developed and invented part of the sonar heads that we use on our tail. So we had, like, double the capacity on our sonar than the rest of the military. So we kicked ass in 1992. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. So now you've gone from Nova Scotia, Victoria, and San Diego. Yeah. War games <laughs> in San Diego were for how long were you there? Uh, well, it took 14 days at sea to get there. Oh, and okay. It, it, we were alongside for 14 days as well as part of doing the RIMPACT, you know, um, right. games. Um, but what happened was is when I was, in open sea for the first time of my life on port side watches of this destroyer, which is the left side of the ship, okay. because that was our trade as a gunner. We were responsible for the port side bow watches. Right. And what that means is we're basically on duty, making sure that everything is going smoothly, nothing in the water or any threats, you know what I mean, uh, watching the open sea. For any potential threats. And do they, be because it's preparatory for the war games, do they throw something at you there unexpectedly or no? Yeah, what we have is we call it ASROC launchers. And what they do is, yeah, we were doing a few test runs right. with the weapon. Yeah. Good. So with, you're San Diego, you go through those, what, then you sail back to Victoria? Never sailed back because of what happened to me when I was in open sea for the first time. And when I was in open sea, yeah. What was what that? Happened, I got triggered. Um, I got awakened. I got woke. And what it is is when I was on port side watches and I saw horizon meet water. And that's all I saw out in the open sea because the closest land was 10 miles down. Right. And boom, 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 boom. My heart started pumping like it was, I was going through a heart attack. So I was 20 years old at this time on ship, feeling like I'm having a heart attack, right? And I'm I, I like, what it is, is there's messes, sleeping quarters all over the ship. And I was in an all-female mess uh, in the mid part of the ship. Right. And it was difficult for me to sleep because my heart is constantly going. So I'm unable to sleep. I'm... I lost like 15 pounds in two weeks by the time we got to San Diego. And I forced myself to eat. I never wanted to eat, but I forced myself to eat. Otherwise, I would have lost more, hmm. right? Because it's like being on a constant adrenaline fat burner. <laughs> so I lost like 15 pounds. And then I, that's when I started getting flashbacks. Flashbacks of the stuff I suppressed when I was a child. Because when I was a child and I was in that war zone, I had to start suppressing my memories because nobody taught me how to deal with my stuff when I was a child. Right. So I was taught to just suppress it, that it never even existed. Which most people did back then. 
Exactly. Most people do suppress a lot of their painful memories. Yeah. And that's why healing and awakening is so scary, right? You actually have to choose to feel the pain, right? And cry. Relive it all over again. Exactly. The healing process is to cry, mourn, let go, move on, get stronger. And what happens when you actually allow yourself to cry? Because we do everything to escape our pain. Everything, smoke, drugs, alcohol, sex without love, hoarding, exercising, over-exercising, under-exercising, overeating, under-eating, any imbalance will suppress our pain. So when we actually stop running and sit our ass down and allow ourselves to feel it, tear through us the pain that we actually cry, that's when, and if we can, continue to do that in a weekly regimen like I found out I had to do to awaken more and more and more because that's what growth is. To Just like a plant. We grow the same way a plant grows. Equal sun to equal rain. Rain is our tears. Sun is our laughter. If we do that in a balance, we grow. I show people how to do that in a balance. That's what I wrote a book about because I did 29 years of healing to this point. And still doing it. And still doing it, exactly. So you're 20 when this awakening first hits. You're, oh, sorry. You're getting... My mistake. I was, 20, I was 21. Sorry. Okay, 21. <laughs> I got married. Well, it's okay. What it was is two weeks before the ship. Well, let's just redefine this. It was two weeks before I went on ship, right? Yeah. Um, I got married. So I was 21 when I got married, 20 when I met my okay. husband. Um. So I was 20 when I, got, 20 when I met him, 21 when I got married. So, yes, I was 21 when I was on ship. My mistake, I was 21. Okay. That's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a, long, it's a long time ago. It's over half your life yeah. ago. Hey? Get my there it is. But, hey, yeah. uh, you're, you're reliving these memories. You're, you're having, be it panic, attacks, whatever, different things going through your awakening. What happens then? Is that when you began to seek counseling, or how did you deal with that? That's exactly it. Um, so basically, when we got alongside, I was near and on land again. So my, my stress away temporarily, right? Then when it was time to go back to sea, my symptoms started to return. So I thought... And I was desperate. I was on duty roundsman during the time we were alongside. And I wanted to break my leg or throw myself down one of the ladders to do this. And I stopped myself. I said, no. Last thing I want to do is hurt me. So I had to have courage to open up to the doctor, to the ship's doctor, to tell tell them what's going on. And I did that. And then that's when they decide it's best that I be put on medical to deal with this. And that's when I was flown back to, instead of killing myself, because they were afraid that I was a suicide threat. Right, yeah. So yeah. they fly you back to Victoria? Yes. And you begin, you begin to see, to get counseled yes. then? Yes. I had, an, I had some, another um, 
petty officer was going to be going back at the same time for leave. So I flew back with him as an escort because, again, they were afraid that I would commit suicide. And then as soon as I landed, he escorted me. Husband met me at the airport, and we all went together to the hospital. First thing was the appointment to the psychologist called Dr. Ripley, believe it or not. (laughs) Dr. Ripley? Really? Yeah, and he had these big-ass wide eyes. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> Believe it or way. not. <laughs> Believe it or not, yeah. <laughs> so you're married and, and not for long, a year, know your husband, I guess, a year before that, so a couple of years. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's a marriage that would end in divorce. But at the time, this was, this was uh, y- your first relationship with a man in which you felt safe. Yes. He was. He provided me my first safe environment, and I do believe now, today, obviously, that it's what I needed to start healing. Right. Yeah. To feel safe. Your soul needs to feel safe in order to start healing. So you're on you're on medical leave at the time. Yes. Okay. So you get counseled, and you're going through that. So how long did that particular process of counseling with the uh, Dr. Ripley last? Um, I, I felt, uh, with Dr. Ripley, the one thing that really just discouraged me, he was unable to give me direction because he was a general psychologist. Okay. And so I had to search and seek for more answers elsewhere. And actually one of the other ordinary seamen that were on this ship, uh, her, uh, she was taken off ship for the same thing and was seeing an actual child sexual abuse psychologist, one that oh. dealt with it. Yes. And she gave me direction that the, um, her psychologist was able to turn her towards a book called The Courage to Heal, A Guide Through Child Sexual Abuse by Ellen Bass was one of the authors. Okay. So The Courage to Heal by Ellen Bass, and there's another author, but I forget, unfortunately, right now. And I turned to that book, and it gave me direction of what to expect, right? The, so pro- very, the process of healing. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah, I needed that because at the time, uh, the Dr. Ripley just was unfortunately unable to do that. Yeah. And through the military, too, thankfully, uh, I was able to get into a woman's group for child sexual abuse healing and get further counseling that way in a group therapy. So that uh, things are going in the right direction for you now from your, 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 your mental aspect now. Yes, and I was very thankful to be in the military at that time for them to... I was still able to work, obviously. Um, I kept it get together during the day, um, and I was working as, a, um, as an administration clerk, okay. basically. yep. And between stage, uh, PMCC was like an in-between kind of stage for people that have conditions of medical. Right. Uh, medical conditions. So I was able to do that until I got remustered in a new trade that never went to sea because I was diagnosed as agor- agoraphobia, it's called. I call it agoraphobia because I'm from Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> and what does that mean? What, what's the layman's description of that? Oh, the layman's description.
and you would never believe this, but it's fear of wide open spaces. Holy well, hell, bells! I'm from freaking Saskatchewan here. Wow. <laughs> but it's without land. Oh. Uh, yeah. The Navy thing. Yes. Right. The water made me feel unsafe because the closest land was 10 miles down. Open. Right. It's triggered yeah. this whole thing. So you're getting yeah. counseling, you're getting better, you're still working, um, and you're in the military for a few more years after this? Yes. And what I wanted to point out is the marriage two weeks before I went on ship was the one extreme love to the other extreme low, which was the fear that came up. So see how the two extremes, equal high to equal low, always come together? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the marriage lasts how long? Uh, it lasted six years, and we were together nine months before we got married. And then when we were separated, we lived together still within the same PM2, which was marriage quarters. So seven years together all together. And you're in the military the whole time? Yes, he was also uh, in the military, same age as me. Yeah, and a military family. He had grown up all over yeah. the place, right? He's called okay. a base, base brat, they call him. Yes. So that comes to an end, but so does your... Uh, Six to uh, eight-wing Trenton. It was CP Trenton at that time, but now it's called eight-wing Trenton. So Nova Scotia, Victoria, San Diego, now you're in Ontario. Moving around uh, pretty both. good. Moving around pretty yeah, good. Yeah, 40-minute drive from Toronto, I think. Trenton. Yeah, it's a good spot to be yeah. at. Now, that would yeah. be your last posting before you stepped before aside from the military? 19- yeah, but I, yes. I got out in 1996 originally, the first time, um, and got out and went to Nashville to see if my music would work because I, uh, I started doing singing, songwriting, playing guitar, which was when you face uh, your stuff inside, you're given gifts. And one of the gifts I was given was uh, singing and songwriting <laughs> right off the get-go. When and I started to te- that, was somewhat, that was somewhat cathartic for you to, uh, yes. to be able to do that? Yes, it was very, very. It was uh, very healing because every chakra energy point in your body and the human energy field, if you look at the science behind every cell vibrating at certain speeds, you emit an energy. Right. Uh, and they've been able to prove this through science. So every chakra on your body uh, relates to a color and also a note. What I mean by each note is that in your human energy field, you have different points on your body that harmonizes to that vibration. So a higher note relates to the higher part of your body, and the lower notes relate to the lower side of the body. So in, in essence, so- if I could just for a minute, I, I, I've listened to music all my life and okay. rock and roll, and part of it was, you know, you get certain lyrics, certain songs, how they touch you. But also, it's the energy of the music that helps you through depression or things like this. That's the connection? Correct. And definitely helps you through depression. What it does is it it soothes the heart. You know, some songs really soothe the heart. And then other songs help you have fun. You know, you need to have that lifting, right? And that lifts you out of depression a lot. And then, or it'll help you cry. 
some sad songs are perfect because they hit exactly where they need to, right in the heart, so that you can do some healing by crying. Wow, interesting uh, the way it all ties together. So music for you was real important. When did you, Theana, take it to the next step of, of singing, playing, writing? When did that come about, when, when you first left the military? Actually, I was still in the military at the time. It was 1997. It was... Uh, Two days after Christmas, so 27th of December, 1997, is when I picked up the guitar, because my husband at the time played guitar. Okay. Um, but I had ordered these learn how to play guitar overnight videos, so I started to teach myself how to play guitar on that day, and the next day, I was in the bathtub, and I started humming this tune from my head. And I started putting words to this tune. So essentially, I started songwriting, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I wrote the song, Please Calm Down. That's uh, actually the second song I ever wrote because I actually wrote a song before that when I was in um, Esquimalt in the warehouse when I was working there. <laughs> and when I took guitar, I was in Trenton, Ontario. So this is after the posting. So essentially, it was actually the second song I ever wrote, and I did do a music video on it. I did record it and put it on iTunes. Um, so it was, it was definitely a journey of a new way of life coming my way. It did, indeed, uh, as it starts. But in 1999, away from the music, is that when um, you ended your first military service? Yes, in 1999, I had this pull to go to Nashville to see what it took to make it in the music industry. Okay. I just had this, this thirst to learn, and I actually asked for uh, a year of leave without pay initially from my squadron in the military. And first, the, the, um, the com- like, commander, he, uh, he said yes. And then they changed their mind later on and said no. So I said to myself, I'm not getting any younger here. I was 28 at the time. Okay. So I decided it's now or, now or never. I had to be brave. So I got out, took my release, got out, and had set up uh, a place in Nashville by putting an ad through the Nashville, Tennessee newspaper for any place that would... Uh, do room and board for exchange for helping out in a person's home, sure. and I had done a pre, yeah, and I had done a pre trip with my, uh, with a friend I had at the time. We went down to Nashville, and we checked out the place first to make sure that no hokey business was going on, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, because the last thing you want to do is go down there and be, you know, taken advantage of. So I went on a trip with a friend first and made sure it was stable, secure. And I, I lived in a, a middle-class part of Nashville, all-black community. I was like the only white chick. Hmm. <laughs> so it was fun. Um, I learned a lot. Like, it was so much to learn during that time. So I'm very thankful I started on my journey in music that way. How long did uh, that last that you were in Nashville? Uh, I was there seven months. I was really only supposed to be there six months okay. as a traveler. Right. But oh, I went sure. a little bit long. Yeah. 
Yeah. So how and, were, how and, were you received? You talked about it being an African American community, and you're the only Caucasian white girl in there. Did it help you that you were Canadian? I guess. <laughs> like you were well received. Yeah, I was well received. It was a middle class community. I took care of a little girl with cerebral palsy. Okay. Uh, her name was yeah. Her name was April Joy. She's six years old, and what it was is her mother was into you know, drugs, unfortunately. And it, now it was the grandmother taking care of the little girl, and she mm. just needed some help. So yeah. you do seven months there. Did you get a chance to play or, or anything like that, your music? Yeah, uh, I, I played at the Palace. Uh, Randy Travis was discovered at the Palace. Right. And I did Broken Spoke. I went in singing contests. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So that's a good experience. You're, you're done in about seven months, and then what happened? Because now what are we in, 2000? Yeah, that was 1999. So, yeah, I was there for the millennium. And, uh, yeah, I came back, and it was 2000. And I went back to my hometown of Churchbridge, Saskatchewan. I was there for about six months, uh, but being in that house again was very difficult because... Yep. Yeah, I had faced some of my abuse at that time with my family as much as I could. Starting at age 23, I finally opened up, um, you know, to my mom, yeah. mostly, uh, about what had happened to me, the memories. And we actually started healing together as a family as much as we could. But when I went back there, um, I was 29 by that time, because in January 26, I was born. So. Right. 29 when I went back home, and all I could stand was being there for about six months. It was just too much. I needed a break, so I moved to Calgary for six months, trying to do my music there. Um, and a lot of people thought I looked like Shania Twain, so mm -hmm. <laughs> every time I went on stage, every time they want, I went on stage, they wanted me to sing Shania Twain. I'm like, why are all these people asking me to do Shania Twain? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you do, and looking at your pictures well, now that you mention it, yeah, yeah, there's a great-looking uh, parallel between the two of you. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I actually thought, well, what am I, stupid? I could take advantage of this. So I started dressing like her and started <laughs> doing a Yeah, I, I started doing, and I was nicknamed in Nashville, Shanae <laughs> See? Because I look, because I look like Shania, Shania so... Wow. Um, Yorkton, York Lake Jamboree was my first professional gig. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, 2001, York Lake Jamboree. I did Shania, uh, Shanae, Shania, uh, <laughs> Impressionist. You know, I, I actually did a gig there. It was so cool. I loved it. Well, great it was, for uh, you. So yeah. now, after Calgary, 9-11 hits, too. Yes, yes, and, and that's what took me home to Churchbridge. Uh, I only spent six months in, in uh, Calgary. I stayed with my brother, and um, it just was a, a difficult arrangement. Uh -huh. It was really, yeah, it just never matched. Right. It was never a good fit for me, so I returned home to Saskatchewan to try to face more of my child sexual abuse because it was hard, Sure. obviously being in that house where the majority of it happened. And it's a journey, and it takes guts, and you got to face it when you're ready, and I 
knew I had to do that, so I bared down and started to face it again. And during that time, I started doing the Shania Twain impressionist right. uh, stuff, work, and started doing several gigs, actually, in the area. That's where I started. That York Lake Jamboree started me off, and then I started doing gigs in Langenberg and in uh, York. I actually did a couple casino gigs at the Yorkton Casino, at the Painted Hand. Yeah. For uh, VIPs, yeah. Uh, I did a couple there. Did, uh, I did a lot on the area. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew, eh? Who knew? Yeah. We'd all go full circle of music and playing and the Shania Twain thing. Uh, that lasts yeah. until 9-11's already happened. So is, is it about 2013 that you're reevaluating of, of what you're going to do? Well, it was 2004 I rejoined the military. Oh, okay. Because remember, it's early 2000s, 2001, right. I was doing the Shania Twain thing. I was okay. doing about two gigs a month Right. by the time 2004 hit. But... Um, I was being pulled back in the military because, like, I was doing pretty good for the Shania Twain thing, but I still had to work as, you know, in waitressing and serving, which I did since I was 15 off and on throughout right. the years. So I started doing waitressing again um, as well as doing um, the Shania Twain thing. But it, it just, I was just pulled to go back in the military, especially since, you know, 2001 and 9-11. It just, I felt this need. To so, help. so you rejoin in 04? Yes, correct. 2004, okay. I rejoined. And by 2006, well, 2005 was my first Middle East tour, and that was to Camp Mirage, uh, UAE, Dubai, which was more of a holiday than anything. It was great. It's by Saudi Arabia there, so there's yep. lots of, yeah, lots to learn. On that, that's for sure. So that was your first deployment overseas? Yes, that was my first, was being part of a support camp for Camp Kandahar in Afghanistan. And what does support then, help mean? What, is, what, what does that entail? What does the what? Your support. You're there for support. What does that mean, actually? Well, it means it's an in-between camp that gets the majority of the food and all the supplies okay. and tours. And then you switch from Airbus um, being loaded up with all this stuff in the belly with the passengers on top to smaller aircraft like CC-130 Hercules that are the tactical aircraft that goes into Kandahar, Afghanistan, for being shot at, right? Yeah, yeah. So you have to move the supplies. As a traffic tech, I was at the time, every message to traffic tech, loady, load master, and we do all the offloading and loading of supplies of the cargo military aircraft. And that that's and daily, isn't it? Yes, that's daily. And yeah. it was, as soon as you open the aircraft door, it was like sticking your head in the oven. It's plus 52 degrees Celsius there. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> one way to put it. Uh, so how long yeah. are you there on this deployment, your first one? I was only four months for that one. And you got sent back then back to where? Uh, eight wing Trenton, that's my home base. Okay, back to Trenton. And, yeah. And then uh, shortly after that, there's a second deployment, isn't there? 2006? Yeah. Yeah, 2000, yes, correct. So, <laughs> 2006. 
Tell me about that because, again, now there's there's physical basic training, different things you have to go through ahead of the second deployment? Yes, we had to do um, auxiliary base training for going into war zone. So we did everything from mine sweeping with our knife at a 45 degrees in the dirt, looking for mines, training, uh, to going through every weapon imaginable from rocket launchers to grenades to AKs. All types of weaponry we went through, um, extensive, you know, gas hut training, extensive shooting, everything. Be- because Main this entry. one's going to lead you to a, uh, you're not going back, act- to, you're going into yeah, this- to the war. Yeah, we're going into the danger zone of being shot at and potentially killed. And that was where? Uh, Camp Kandahar, 12,000 troops from okay. all over the world. Right. 2,200 Canadian troops, and just a smidge over 100 chicks out of 12,000. I wow. never felt like a bigger piece of meat in all my life. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, that's the military and some of what we've heard about it, and that is the way women are treated, particularly from a side of being, as you say, hit on. And that would be something that you had to deal with a lot. How do you overcome that? Well, we did. We, the good thing about the Canadian military is we did have harassment training every six months. Um, I never felt like I was unable to stand up and fight my own battles because that's what I had done and learned to do my whole life. So I found I got more respect and being treated like a sister the more I stood up for myself. So and, yeah. it, was, it was very good. Uh, for me to learn how to become a stronger person, I, I, it was difficult at times. Obviously, if it never, if it had gotten past a certain degree, I had every opportunity to report it right. because in the Canadian military, it was very, very much shunned upon big time in the Canadian military. So it was taken care of immediately. If I had done any reporting on it, other women had. Um, I never found to. In my situation, I never found it ever got to that degree that I had to report it. I did a lot of fighting. <laughs> like, it made me a better fighter. <laughs> yeah, yes. what you have to do, right? All right, yeah, you got, so you got a pretty good right hook now, don't you? Oh, I took temple karate. Oh, see? I took judo. I took tai chi. I took my Thai, and I took grappling in the military was anchoring in how to do the wrestling news. I know how to fight now. I'm not doing that much. <laughs> Don't mess with the military, girl. Uh, that <laughs> yeah. probably wouldn't be in your best interest. Um, when, when you prepared for your second deployment, knowing you're going to a combat zone, how mentally were you able to prepare that? Because it's a completely different deployment from your first one. Oh, well, uh, basically, in my heart, I felt that I needed to go um, because, but at the time, I had delusions of grandeur and heroism in my head. Mm-hmm. I never looked at the aftermath of a war zone, and that was that happened for, I believe, a good reason because I had to go in order to get worse to finally get better in my healing. It always gets worse before it gets better. Um, I had a lot of anger when I came back because I blamed myself for having this... 
I never had to go because I was the port trade. But right. when they asked me, I did say yes. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to go. So it was very difficult for me to cope with survivor's remorse after I got home seeing so much death around me constantly. It's hard. How long were you? How long were you in this this deployment to uh, Kandahar? Uh, I was there for again another four months. I got triggered, and uh, they I I got triggered, and I had to go say something to someone because the last thing I wanted to do was kill myself. Right. Right. Because I was unable to keep up with my healing. When you're in a war zone, you're in survival mode. So I did no crying, did no facing for four months, right? Yeah. Until it just bombshelled me internally, emotionally, and I could I could never stop crying. At one point after that four months, um, because I just got triggered, right? One one death experience. And and there is that, and you get returned back to Trenton, I, I would imagine. And and again, you talked about what what many feel when they come back uh, from being in the war, be it that war, any other, and that is, you know, uh, the guilt you get because you survived and others didn't. Many experience that. Exactly, and as soon as I got on safe got back to safe land again, my body just took over. I had severe PTSD, and what that meant is I had uncontrollable uncontrollable body seizures was one symptom out of five that I had. I had it mostly in the night, night attacks. I had a day attacks as well that were extremely embarrassing when you have no control of your body. Um, my mom had to witness one incident when I had returned home to church, which later on after getting out the second time, and she never understood why I was unable to stop shaking. I had no control of my body. Uh, so I'd wake up <clears throat> mostly at night, panicking, unable to breathe. It was like from nightmares. And then I'd have, uh, it felt like someone put a belt over the top of my diaphragm and cinched it tight. And then it was like another person with a knife stabbed me in the stomach, so I had shooting pains from the stomach down. And then from the stomach up, I had uncontrollable body seizures where the scariest thing was to look at my own arm and have no control to stop it from shaking. So I'd get up one to two hours a night, shaking uncontrollably on top, shooting pains on the bottom, gasping, trying to breathe, and trying to never lose my mind. How? It was a fun, yes. How how did you live with it? How did you cope with it? What was help? That, that helped you there? Well, yeah, I had it for six years until I finally was completely cured of it. And what I did is I continued my healing process. And I wrote a book on how to do this, right? I teach people how to heal themselves like I did. So what happened is when I continued the weekly regimen of facing my fears inside, the cry more and let go, move on, get stronger, and a healthy balance to escaping my emotions. Because if you face and cry too much, you go into depression. You mm-hmm. die on the inside. But if you face too little, you're like the clown with the frown upside down. You just mask all your stuff with humor, and you go down and die inside as well. So I show people how to escape their emotions in a balance, equal balance to facing them with the method called my star method. Uh, uh, and I wrote a book on showing people how to do this. 
and I'll be releasing it in a couple weeks um, on OnlyFans.com. What's yeah. it called? OnlyFans? Yeah. O-N-L-Y-F-A-N-S.com. So OnlyFans.com is where I'm going to be releasing chapter at a time of my book. Okay. And, yeah. And this is to help help self-healing. This is to help others that you've been through so much from five to, you know, your healing process of everything else. That's years. You've talked about 29 years when you were 21 that you started this healing process. And uh, you're at it now in almost three decades and continue at it. So what you're trying to do is go, hey, I think I got some things in here in this book that can help you. Exactly. It took me six years to fully heal myself of the uncontrollable body seizures to the tightness on the top of my diaphragm. So each symptom out of the five that I had went away one by one by doing this regiment of healing weekly. Did the military not help you with that? The military helped me uh, uh, by allowing me to still work during the day and deal with you know, I still, just like I did when I first came off a ship, I still held it together during the day enough to work as much as I could without the uncontrollable body seizures taking over because I had mostly night attacks. Right. Right? Right. Yeah, so, so the military helped me with, until it was medical release. I got 3B medical release. When was that? Um, 2009. I finally got out. That's when you were done with the military, and as you said, what did you call it, release? Uh, 3B, medical release. And that means? It means, uh, basically, it's category of uh, severe PTSD, um, unable to do. You had to be active to go to, on tour in war zones. Right. And I, unfortunately, was unable to be active anymore in the war zone. Okay, so that's why, obviously, there's an issue there being in the military. Yeah. So you leave in 2009, that's like 12 years ago, and it's shortly after that, is it when, there's a thing I've seen uh, of you, a picture, you call it the bus, and it's a, it's a motor yeah, home. And when did the motor home come into play? I, and actually, I bought that in 2009, just before I got out. Okay. Basically. And uh, I had, it was a 40-foot brand-new RV coach that was on the auction block um, in Gananoque, Ontario, which was just past Kingston. And I bought it uh, regularly. It would have been $205,000 bus. I got for 130000 with taxes included. <laughs> so for my first home. Yeah. And... Yeah, and music business in one, because it was my tour bus as well as my home. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good deal. <laughs> it's a heck of a deal. Uh, but you then began, looks as though there's stops all over the place that you made, almost like you're you know, seeing North America, and it's part of your healing process too? Yes, yes. Um, I would go, I would go, I went back and forth to Nashville and Florida um, twice. For two years continuously. So it was five seasons of summer. I got sick of summer. <laughs> I wanted to go to Saskatchewan after that. Oh, man. Uh, so you so had it for forth. five years? Is that how long you had the motorhome? No, no, no. I've had it since uh, 2000. Well, actually, 2008. 
I bought it. My camera says 2009 on it, so the picture's actually a year off. So I bought it in 2008, a year before I got out, actually. You still have and, it? Uh, yeah, so I'm in it right now talking to you. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> you're, you're in B.C. <laughs> in where? Surrey? Yeah. Surrey, South Surrey, White Rock area, Vancouver, Vancouver area, well, that's which a- is Kansas, Florida. That the, it, it is, and you know that is a heck of a buy. Then I mean, you're still in it for goodness sakes. Good for you. Um, yeah. Settle in Vancouver then in uh, what 2013, and this was to further pursue music. Yes, yes. Um, you can get on the radio nationally through um, going through promoters in Vancouver. Here, um, I found out finally from my stint of being here, but it's costly. It's $10,000 for one original song mm. once it's improved. Once it's approved through the producers, uh, and it goes on the radio nationally three to four months. Um, but this is the big time. We're talking the big leagues. I'm in the minor leagues, being that I've been on iTunes and Amazon and across the Internet with my music already. Right. But I'm talking this is the big leagues. This is where it's sixty five grand for a music video versus three hundred dollars is what it paid for my first El Tipo music <laughs> video profession. That's so talking, a big difference. Yeah, it's a it's a huge, huge difference. It's what I'm shooting for still and if it's meant to be, the universe, my higher power, my faith, it will be. Whatever's meant to be will be. I just have faith. Good for you. Eight years later still still doing it, but you've done a lot in your life. Um, that has led to, to great things. What, what, what is your biggest message to people who have gone through sexual abuse, different things that have happened to them, and how the best piece of advice that you could give them that you can get through to the other side? Oh, the best piece of advice is, you, number one, you have to have faith. Um, I start off Roman, like, um, a group Roman Catholic. Right. I've always searched for more answers through healing, been guided by my, by Jesus, you know. Yep. Mother Mary, um, number one to me, my heart, my peace inside. That's number one. You have to have faith. It starts with faith. As it starts then, there, then you move to yeah. with faith in an effort to, to find a way. What are the, some of the things you had to do that enlightened you? Books, for sure, got me through. Um, the Courage to Heal was the direction I needed to learn about what to expect with child sexual abuse. Um, therapy, number one as well. Uh, with Faith is number one. Therapy is always, also up there as well. Yep. Um, looking, just wanting the desire to get better. You, you have to want to get better, right? Yep. It's spiritual yep. work. It takes work, just like working out, just for the body, and our, we're a soul encased in a physical shell, so it makes sense that we both have to do the work on the physical shell for working out, as well as spiritual work for our emotions. They both need work. And it doesn't and happen left, overnight. No. Nothing, change never happens overnight. Yeah. But the willingness can make all the difference like it it can come you can be inspired you can be triggered something in your life can cause you to want 
to change and have more. Divorces, moving, loss of career, loss of a child, tragedies, they all happen. And all these challenges happen to trigger you to want more. It's um, It's been a uh, real treat for me to... Uh, have the opportunity to uh, sit down and talk with you, even though it's from Yorkton to Vancouver, the enlightenment, your story, how willing you are to tell it in an effort to uh, help others. Uh, again, OnlyFans.com, couple weeks, uh, your book that you wrote and how people can help heal. We encourage people to go there, and we'll let them know that throughout, too, when it happens. Yes, it's... Uh... Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. It's called My Star Method. Um, yeah. Great. And so it's a guide to week. Yeah. Well, I'll keep in touch with you. We'll let people know when it comes and, and that they can get online and how they can uh, check out your book as it comes chapter by chapter. Uh, you truly are a uh, an inspiration, everything you have gone through in your life and overcome it and uh, moved on with great success, which is uh, truly uh, wonderful to see. Thanks for this, Theana. everything that you've talked about, opening up for us. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, too, and, uh, and you're welcome. I really appreciate it.